Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. Today, I'm so excited for our guest because he and I love some of the same things, productivity and creativity, but he really focuses on mindfulness at work. And it's something that is so important to understand to just slow down. And so if you are multitasking right now, I get it. So many of us do it but try to be present for 30 minutes and really slow down and take in what we're going to talk about today. So Robin, welcome to the show. Oh, Angela, it's an absolute pleasure and delight to be here with you this afternoon. Um, I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to chat with you. Before we jump into all the good stuff, there has to be one story or something that sticks out in your head that has made you understand how important it is to focus and slow down? Is there one story that just sticks out in your head that it's like, okay, this is the point where I really need to slow down? Or maybe it's a client story or something that you can share with us of why it's so important to focus and slow down. Sure. I I think um, we're all at risk of jumping to conclusions, making assumptions. And I think the important thing is to take the judgment out of everything that we're doing and to be a lot more mindful. Now, having said all that, practicing that on a regular basis, I still get it wrong. And I I want to, I'm embarrassed to share this, but I feel I've got to share this story. This happened to me a couple of months ago. I was in Dubai and I went to the expo in Dubai and I jumped off the coach and I started to make my way quickly towards the exhibition because I was really excited to be there. And I tripped over and scuffed both my hands and my knees. And a gentleman came up to me and gave me some water and uh, some tissues to wipe myself down. And I, uh, he wanted to uh, kind of mither over me. And I, I was more than happy to say, no, I'm all right. I'll, I'll, I'm fine. Thank you ever so much for the water. Thank you for the, the tissues. I am all right. So I went into the expo, really enjoyed it, went back to the coach a little bit earlier. I met up with the gentleman again, and he was talking to me about who he was and where he came from. Now, stupidly, 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 I made the assumption that he was a coach driver. And why I should make this assumption, I've got absolutely no idea. But he wasn't. He was on holiday and he was enjoying himself. Um, 
Now, I didn't disrespect him and I didn't upset him or I didn't say anything untoward because I'd made that assumption. But I am now mortally embarrassed about the fact that I didn't really engage with him as somebody who'd been into the expo because I made the assumption being the coach driver he'd seen it all before and was sitting there in the coach waiting for us to return so I, I didn't have the depth of conversation I would have liked to have had with him but I must say I, um, I feel embarrassed and I would like to send out a, an apology to him. He lives in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. If he's listening to this and he recognizes who I am, I am desperately sorry. I've made the mistake of making an assumption which was totally and wholly incorrect. So even though I practice all this good stuff and say, this is what we should be doing, I fall foul of it myself, but then I'm human like you are. Well, and all, well, thank you for sharing that. Well, and also too, when you're in probably an unfamiliar place and you do something, I mean, I know like I'm super clumsy and I like fall into, I just make fun of myself and laugh, but it does kind of like just, it, it's almost like, um, like when I'm on event days and things are happening and people come up to me and talk to me, it's like, I can't remember people's names. I can't remember things. It's like, I'm focused and I'm like a different person, like in robot mode because it is like go mode. And so it's like, I'm just, um, it's like, you're not in your right mind. It's like, you're not, you can't even be yourself sometimes because you're so rattled. If you're, you know, you're unfamiliar or something happens that you weren't planning on, it happens. And so I've learned like it's all in how you react to it. And again, going back to like taking a step back and breathing and slowing down. Like it's sure. so important. Yeah. So I'd love for you to jump in and tell us a little bit more like what is emotional intelligence? Like what we can all Google it, but just on, you know, a fourth grade level so that everyone really understands. It's like, what, what is it? What is it? Well, on a fourth grade level, and even at a psychological level, it is very, very straightforward, yet it is so difficult to, to practice. I, it's being smart with your feelings. It's using the intelligence that you've got to work with your emotions in order to make good, authentic decisions and build up authentic relationships. That's it. But it is so difficult to practice and do well. Angela, am I emotionally intelligent? It's a great question. But if I answer no, why do I work in the field of emotional intelligence? But if I answer yes, I am, it suggests that a rather high degree of arrogance and self-conceitedness and there suggests that there's no room for improvement. It's work in progress. There are times when I go into a situation and I'll come out of it and I'll be very pleased with how I've engaged with everybody. And then with the example I've just given you, there'll be times when I go into a situation and completely screw up. So it's work in progress. I know the type of man that I want to be. I know how I would love to engage with the world and with people. That's my ideal. That's what I strive towards. And Nine times out of 10, I get it right. And then there's the occasional circumstance where I think, yeah, Robin, okay. Do you think that people are not, 
and, and then when I think of it, um, and emotional intelligence, and I've been through lots of workshops and lots of leadership conferences, and, you know, I'm constantly learning about the brain and about behaviors and how can I better understand people. But something that I've, I've noticed is that people are not really self-aware. And so is there something that just a tip that you can give our, our viewers and our listeners, like what is something that you can do for yourself to make sure that you are being self-aware first, because being a psychologist, it's like, you've got to understand how people perceive you first before you go out and try to teach or lead others. And, and that's something where I just, I take a step back sometimes and I'm like, wow, this person really isn't self-aware. And sometimes I don't even know how to approach it like in a positive manner because they become defensive. And so what's something that we can do to become more self-aware? Well, I, I think in the first instance, what we've got to do is to understand what makes us different, what our strengths are. I think um, most people are fully aware of what they're not good at, what their weaknesses are, and what their liabilities are. But what is it that makes them special? What is it that makes them different? I'm not interested when I'm working with people in what they're not good at. I'm interested in what makes them different? What makes them excel? What makes them a different leader? What is the differential? What is that uniqueness? What is the essence of that individual? And often, if they don't know, I think the important thing is to help them to explore that. And as psychologists, we have a range of tools available to us to help with self-awareness. And there are some great tools which are free and they're fun on the internet. They're not very valid and they're not very reliable, but they give you some indications as to uh, what particular type you are, what behavioral style you've got, uh, your own Word cluster sorts, Angela, is a brilliant tool for helping people to become more self-aware. So take the opportunity. Don't worry about exposing yourself. Worry about what it is that you're good at that you can't recognize in yourself, that everybody else sees in you. And the other important thing is to listen and to listen to good quality feedback. So if people tell you that you're good at something, don't dismiss it, oh yeah, everybody does that. Listen to it and think, thank you. I wasn't aware that uh, you see that in me as a core strength, as a core capability. Yeah, I really think too, even as, and I see this in children, um, I used to teach gymnastics and um, it was my class that was called Tiny Tots. And just, I can even tell from like the age of like three, four and five year olds, they don't know how to take compliments sometimes. Like you just, and, and sometimes it, it is the parents because they're mimicking what they're watching their mom do or or their dad do or you know whoever the, the figures are in their life they emulate what other people are doing and and I see it oftentimes in adults I, I mean I've even caught myself doing it but you said the most important word which is listen and as humans 
many of us are so quick to be defensive or judge that just, again, being quiet and listening, I always look for patterns and, and also, um, like I have a note on my iPhone and when people ask something or say something over and over and over, I just, I put it in a note and oftentimes because I'm moving a million miles a minute, people may think like I'm not paying attention or I'm not hundred percent there or I'm not present, but there's key words that I hear over and over and over. And when you start documenting that and you go back and look at it at the end of 30 days and 60 days and 90 days, that's how you find a pattern of what your audience is telling you. And so if you start to listen and you start to give your audience what they want, it's what they're telling you. And if audience members are telling you things or even your family or friends that you don't want or you don't want to hear, that usually means you need to do something different, right? To get a different result. And so it's really simple. It really is to slow down and listen and be observant. But we're so worried. I'm not worried about this anymore. The whole FOMO thing, fear of missing out that we're going to miss out on an opportunity or we're going to miss out on this client or we're going to miss out on this and miss out on that. If we just slow down, determine our goals. And, and, and I don't mean like a bunch of goals, like one, one personal, one professional every quarter and maybe three a year because a lot of us are overachievers. It's like, you're not going to be able to get anything done if you don't pay attention and listen or Worse yet, and I've done this sabotaging my, my own time and myself, is I want to do something, but that's not what the people are asking for. And, and it's a little bit over their head, and they're not grasping the concept of what I'm talking about. And so that's where I have to pull back and listen. And so just with this part, it's, it's so important to just, it's like as humans, we're thinking about the next thing to say, or the next story to relate it to what somebody's talking about. It's like, just slow down and listen. It's, it's so, so, so important. And so how does all this relate to productivity? Because, you know, I'm like psycho in a, in a fun, good way when it comes to like productivity and time management and, and being present. So how does emotional intelligence and being mindful, how does that wrap in and rope into productivity? Well, I think there's a lot in what you were talking about that is fundamental to emotional intelligence. One of the core components of emotional intelligence is empathy. And empathy is the way in which you can put yourself into the shoes of other people and see things and feel things through them, through their being. And you can't do that unless you learn to listen and you learn to be present and you learn to slow down to tap into their energy or speed up to tap into their energy in a way that resonates with them. So ultimately, a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of mindfulness is being very aware in the present moment as to what's going on around you and to going back to that fundamental core capability of listening and listening means not just hearing the words it's going beyond that what is being said what is being communicated in the tone of voice through the eyes 
what is happening with the person's body language how are they using their words how are they engaging with you how are they engaging with you in the present moment and all of that is the this wonderful art of listening that i am still trying my best to master and on many many occasions failing dismally but I have a head start. I, I think, unfortunately, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but one of my core capabilities is the fact that I am mildly more to moderately deaf. I wear hearing aids, so I've actually got to concentrate and really focus in on what people are saying which is great because people say, oh, you're a really good listener, Robin. Well, I'm actually concentrating to try and make sure that I don't miss anything. Now, I lost my hearing 30 odd years ago and we didn't pick up on it until about 10 years ago. So over that 20 year period, as it was degrading, decaying, I was learning compensating mechanisms. So I'd rather not be mildly to moderately deaf, but hey, that's what I am. So it's part of who I am. It's part of what I am. And here I am. So it's helped me. And I don't see it as a weakness. I see it as a core strength and capability. It makes me more empathetic, but there's still room for improvement. It's so true. There's a... Um you know, I'm, I'm like a nerd when it comes to like all the psychology methodologies. And I'll never forget. It. I remember the year exactly. I was in a court, like a business course. And we did this thing called strength finders. And it gives you the top five strengths and your lowest. Um, I don't even know like what they call it, but it's like focus on the top five and don't focus on the bottom five and hire people in the top five and don't, you know, but my last thing, there was like 30 something. My very last one was empathy. And it was a huge eye opener for me because as I started to listen to what people were saying about me in the community, like Angela's a robot, Angela doesn't need to sleep. And how does she do all this stuff? And da 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 da. And, and while I was acting very robotic, I, I wasn't practicing empathy. Um, you know, I, I wasn't raised by parents. My parents were super hard workers and, um, and I'm very grateful for that, but there was very, very little empathy within my family, in my household growing up at all. And so it's something that I constantly struggle with. And even when the pandemic started, it really helped me take a step back and understand that I like, I'm not the one to feel sorry for myself, right? Like I'm a solution person. It's like, okay, how can we fix this? Like, we don't need to wallow in sorrow over here. Like we just need to figure out a solution and like move forward. But then again, it's like, I had to learn to slow down, listen to what people are wanting, listen to what people are actually needing rather than just like I, um, what do people call it? It's a bull in a China shop or something like yeah. that. There's like some silly saying like that. And, um, and so for me, it's like the, the pandemic was actually very healthy and it was very good personally, just very personally for me to take a step back and realize like people need motivation, people need community, people need other people to help lift them up. And it has taught me to be much more empathetic. 
And, and it's something that I still struggle with. And it's something that I still am working through because I was taught, you know, don't, don't wallow in sorrow, get up and, and it's going to be okay. And it, it will be okay. But instead of, you know, really being upset about those things, it's like learn from it and try to turn it into something good. Just like you're, you're hearing, I'm actually deaf in one of my ears and, um, and have been for a long time. And so when people were wearing masks, I, I read lips, I can't, I can't hear a lot. Like my hearing is bad period. And so, um, you know, I, when I, when we were able to go out in public and meet with people, but we had to wear a mask, I wouldn't do it. I would rather talk with people over zoom because I can't hear them. And then if there's music on in the background or if there's noise in the background, like forget it, you know, just forget it. And I'm, and I feel so rude. I'm like, huh, what, excuse me. Can you say it again? You know, and it is kind of embarrassing, but you just make do with it. And, you know, I don't want to say, oh, I'm deaf in this ear and this, and it's, it's like, I'm trying to pay attention. So I 100% relate to you when you're saying like, <laughs> When, when you can't hear and you can't see somebody's lips, it's a whole nother level of feeling lost. And, and I can't empathize with people when I can't, you know, I'm only getting like a fourth of the story. So we, we start to overcompensate, like you were saying, and it's just, you know, it's a lot, it's just a lot sometimes. Right. And, um, but, but going back to the focus part, because it, if you can't read lips and you can't hear and you can't understand, you can't be productive. And so, and then you add creativity in there. So pretty much most everyone in, in our circle and in our community, we're all creatives. And so what's something we can do as creatives because we're like, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. I'm like, oh my God, did you see that? I'm like, look at that. Look at that. Oh my God, that's so pretty. Like, you know, and just the inspiration's going off in my head. And then I'm thinking about like clients and what we could do with campaigns and marketing. Oh my God, it's just so much, right? And then I'm like, slow down, <laughs> you know, just breathe. But for creatives, what's something we can do to like help us become more engaged and, and just to remember to slow down? Because creatives, it's hard to turn that brain off. Like it just, I don't know how to turn it off. How can we turn it off? <laughs> Get rid of the squirrels. Oh my God. How? Do you have well, a magic potion? No, I, I don't have a magic potion. I think the important thing is to recognize that being distracted is just part of who you are, what you are. And that is where your energy is taking you. So rather than being distracted on something that looks really, really interesting, uh, focus your energy on the person who you are talking to. It might be incredibly hard to do that, but you're actually validating that person. Learn to adjust your energy to their level. Now, some people are incredibly slow-paced and talk in a very methodical way so use your creativity to slow your pace down to their level and use your creativity to try and raise their energy level just slightly you can play around with it uh, in your own mind be very much in the present moment in order to do that and then some people are incredibly fast-paced and highly energetic now, the difficulty there is you've actually got to raise your energy level up to their level and see if you can actually 
temper their level down a little bit. So these are some of the things that you can do to distract yourself from the squirrels around you, but actually focus in very much on that engagement piece, the person who you're talking to, the person you're communicating with, the person that you are actually working with. You're not actually manipulating them, you're validating them. And that's so important. I'd love to hear your thoughts on notifications and, um, you know, that, that's just one thing that it's like, I love the iPhone and I love Apple and I love my watch. I love my watch for one thing, one thing, and that is to track my steps. And that's really why I got it, like for the health component and all of my notifications are purposefully turned off purposely. And that is something that I feel that Apple, it should like be illegal for you to be able to go into the Apple store and buy all these things and walk out with them and invest all this time and money. And they have all, I don't even know if they have the free classes anymore. We used to teach some of the classes, but showing people how to focus. Now, Apple's come a long way in that there's new focus features, there's productivity features. It'll give you a report every day. I get a report every Sunday telling me how I spend my time. You can also go into very specific apps and put limits for yourself, not just your kids. If you have kids, I don't have kids, but it's like my nieces that have iPhones. If I want to go in and restrict something, or if my sister wants me to do that, I will. But as an adult, sometimes we need those boundaries and we need that time. And for some reason, when I teach this and, and I, I take people through, this is how you do your notifications. This is how you do your report. This is how you focus more. Because my whole thing is be present. Don't say yes to something and don't put it on your calendar unless you're going to show up and be present 100%. You're wasting your time and the other person's time, period, the end. And it's rude. And so if you're not going to be present and you have things buzzing constantly, it interrupts the train of thought. And so I don't understand for the life of me, why people are so afraid to turn off their effing notifications. It's like they think they're going to like die or miss something or, I mean, it's, it's constant. And even like, I see it a lot, like, um, in working with, uh, with clients and couples and doing consulting and, I mean, I even have cut people out. Like if I'm going to lunch or to dinner with someone and they, and and my friends know me really freaking well, if they can't be present and like quit the notifications, and like put the stuff down, like I will just write people out. I'm, I'm, I'm just done. I just don't have time for it. So why do you think people are so afraid to go eight, 10 hours, heaven forbid, without Wi-Fi and that they're missing something. It's like, I know that there's something with dopamine and all that, but like, what is it? Like, do you, do you have a hunch? It's an, it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. It's an addiction. Look, no watch. My phone is in the other room. I'm here focusing in on you. So the house could burn down. I, you know, people could be phoning to try and get a hold of me because somebody significant has passed away whilst I'm talking to you. I'll deal with it later. Yep. Nothing's going to change. No, it's an addiction. If I can bring it back to emotional intelligence, 
it's down to self-regulation. We're not able to self-regulate ourselves. And self-regulation is often perceived to be around regulating our emotions. It is regulating our emotions and we get a dopamine hit when we get a notification. And we're striving for more and more because we want more and more of these dopamine hits. The, the difficulty is we've actually got to stop and recognize the fact that we are not being emotionally intelligent. We're not regulating ourselves. We're not able to control our impulses and our impulse control is part of our self-regulation. We're just not able to do it. So when people say to me, oh, they feel that they're good at emotional intelligence and then they get a text message that they must deal with immediately. I think to myself, hmm, I think there's a little bit of work that needs to be done here. A lot of work, a lot of work. I mean, even my own, my own brother who, and, and entrepreneurs, we're the worst at it. We are the worst. And it, it's like, to be disciplined and like self-regulate. It, it's it's so hard. I get it. I've been through the work. I've done the work. That's why I, I talk about it and I preach it. But my own brother, it's like, he's like, you never answer your phone, right? If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist because I'm not glued to my phone. He's like, well, you have an Apple watch. You know, I'm calling. Like I have people who don't know me that well. And they're like, I know you're getting the notifications. You have an Apple watch. I'm like, actually it's all turned off on purpose. And I get a report at the end of the day. And usually I'm working out or on my treadmill and I will go through and, and look at those, but I will be present at that moment. And it will be there when I get there. But even my own brother, and we do a lot of work with his company and his nonprofit and so his phone will constantly, he's like, you don't understand. It doesn't work like that in sales. Like if people need something like, and I'm like, then hire a salesperson. You're the owner, you're the CEO. If you're not present, I'm not giving you any more time. Like even the other day we're on the phone and we're, we, were, we were zooming and his phones, he's like, this attorney's calling, this attorney's calling. I was like, this is my time and your time. So either they can wait or I'm getting off and I'm done. And, and he, he knows, like, I mean it. And he's like, okay, sorry. I know it's just, I mean, there's just so many things and it's so distracting and you can't get anything done. We, it's like, we spend four hours in a strategy meeting, but there's so many interruptions. It's so aggravating and it's just rude. And so I even do it to my own family. Sometimes I'm like, either be present or I'm leaving. And I've done that. I've got up and I've just left before because it's just like, I got better things to do than to be halfway here with you. So it's like one thing that I've learned is just, it's just like, um, if you're trying to diet, don't bring the cookies in the house. Don't bring the sugar in the house. Just don't bring the cake home. Last night I picked up my dog. My groomer's like, mama made some peach cobbler. Do you want some peach cobbler? I'm like, I'm trying not to eat sugar. And you know that no, I don't want any peach cobbler, but it smells really good. And it looks really good. I'm like, I got to get out of here, you know, before I just take one bite. Cause I can't just take one bite, you know, I got to eat a whole freaking bowl. And it's, it's just discipline. And, and again, like being self-aware of, of like what's going on, uh, uh, you know, around you, do you have a, a client story that just, cause you have, I mean, you've trained thousands of people all over the world. Do you have just a, a story that sticks out in someone that you thought 
this is never going to work. They're never going to change. They're never going to make any impact, but then they surprised you and they surprised themselves and they turned it around. Like, do you have any stories like that? Oh, let me think. I'm sure there is one there. Our audience loves stories, like, because they can, if they can like see themselves, like in a story, that's what we get feedback on the most is like, people love stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me give you a, an example of a client who um, I had been working with for a number of years and they were working with me in terms of some coaching and some personal development. And as you know, when you are coaching somebody, you're not giving them solutions. All you're doing is asking them the deep, penetrating questions, the questions they just do not want to be asked. And I was working with somebody who was having some real problems in terms of managing their team. And, I, and they were not being perceived as being the leader of the team, just simply because they were um, very, very forthright in terms of their demands around the task. And what was happening is that the team were doing what they were told to be doing, but they just weren't engaging with the leader in a kind of human way. They were almost being robotic. So to actually work with that individual, I'd taken them through a, an assessment, a DISC assessment, very similar to the word cluster sort. And we came out with the, the, um, the indication that they were very high dominance, very, very assertive, very brusque, very blunt, very task focused, very results focused, very outcome driven. And they saw that as a real strength. But I was saying to them, yes, it is a real strength, but you're overplaying it to the point where you're missing the human bit. And it's the people within your team that are actually delivering for you. You're not doing it yourself. They're doing it for you. So you need to engage them. Now, what is it that you need to do? And I kept coming back to this question time and time again. What is it that you need to do? How can you get them to engage with you at a more human level? And they were coming up with some ideas, very, very, very superficial ideas. And I thought, we're not making much progress here. They uh, came back to me at a subsequent coaching session and they said, do you know, I've gone away and thought about what it is that you'd said. And I was working with somebody and they were talking to me about the fact that they were going on holiday. Now, normally I would look at it and think um, mm, this is taking somebody, a key person away from the project that we're working on for two weeks. And it's rather irritating because it's not coming at the right time, but they need a break. So I let them go on the break and before they went away, I actually wrote down on a scrap of paper where they were going and who was in their family and who was going on holiday with them, because I don't normally remember those sort of things. This is what the client was saying. And when they came back, I, I rather than actually being rather brusque with them and saying, great, you're back, right, let's get on with it. I said to them, 
how did your holiday in the Bahamas go? And how did your wife enjoy it? And how did your children get on? And he, she, well, it was a she, she actually used their names. And she said, do you know, I had a much better productive conversation with that person because I did that one little thing. And I thought, hallelujah. It was something that they had done. But um, I was the catalyst towards that. And I really don't take any credit for what they'd done at all, other than the fact that I pointed them in that, in that direction. But they came to that conclusion themselves. They did it themselves. And I thought at one point, we're not making any progress here whatsoever. They are so focused on being the, the boss, being the manager, being the, um, the one who's leading the project that they're completely missing the human element of it. Now, small steps. I think they uh, fell flat on their face a number of times afterwards, but it was a small step in the right direction. You know, it's the, it's the the small things though where we do fall flat on our face. And I mean, for me, it's just when I fall on my face that it's like, what can I learn from it? And you know, some people around me they're like, does everything have to be a learning lesson? It's like, yeah, I find a lesson in everything because it makes us stronger and it makes us smarter and it makes us more self aware. But you have to be aware to to find those signs and look for those signs. And, and it is a lot of personal development and something I've learned over time is like, you have to want to be helped that you can't make people want to be helped. And that's one thing that, you know, talking about energy and focus is like, I used to put my energy into some people because I wanted them to see something or I wanted them to, to feel what I felt. And oftentimes when I'm speaking, people think that I'm like angry on stage. They're like, gosh, like my armpits are like sweating. I'm like, <laughs> don't mistake my passion for anger. It's just, I never want you to have to go through some of the stuff that I've gone through because it's hard. And if I can save you from some of those things and share these things with you, why would I not do that? But the human element that I was missing is sometimes people have to feel the pain themselves before they're going to do anything with it. And so I was completely wasting my time and my energy on other people who didn't feel the pain yet. But it took me years to understand that because, of course, I've had coaches and consultants, you know, tell me these things. But until you feel it and go through it yourself, some people just aren't ready. And that's okay. It's not a reflection on you. It's not a reflection on your work. It just means they're not ready. And so do you find yourself saying no more than yes when you're working with, when people want to work with you because you know they're not ready? Almost oh, definitely. I think uh, the, the beauty of what I'm doing at the moment is I, 
um, working with and preparing and selling a lot of online courses. Now, I know that there are loads and loads and loads and loads of people out there who are keen and eager and want to learn about emotional intelligence but it's up to them to decide that they want to take a course not for me to say oh here's a course for you you must take this now uh, traditionally I will go out and sell the courses in that way but what I'm doing really is is helping them to realize where the pain points lie and helping them to realize that I've got a solution that may help them and putting them in control and allowing them to make the decisions that they need to make as to whether my courses are going to help them. And then there are some people that take my courses and uh, they get a lot from it. They love them and they come back for more. And there are some people that take my courses and they don't like me. You know, they don't like my delivery style. They don't like my hairstyle. They don't like my eyes. I don't know what it is. But yeah, that's fine. That's fine. There are other great courses out there on emotional intelligence. And if mine aren't right, hopefully they'll find something that is. Yep. You're not for everybody. And no. that's okay. No. You're not for everybody. You can't it's, be all things to all people. Cannot. We only have so much time and energy to give. It's so true. So you have a free online course um, that talks about working on mindfulness. And so we'll put that link in the show notes yeah. and we'll link all your social media. And if people want to connect with you, what's your, do you have a favorite platform where you, you hang out? Well, I, I find that LinkedIn is the platform for me in terms of communicating with people. I find that people are a little bit more uh, business focused there. I do go into Facebook myself on a daily basis just to look at various things, but it's more fun on Facebook. And I get a lot of people trying to get me to advertise on Facebook and I've tried it and it does not work for me and it doesn't work for my business. Or I'm missing a big trick here and I don't know what it is. And please, I don't want anybody contacting me saying they can help me get uh, traction on Facebook. I really am not interested. Uh, LinkedIn, yeah, I, I find I get much, much better quality levels of discussion and communication through LinkedIn. Um, Twitter, I tweet, but not to any great extent. So I think LinkedIn is the one for me at the moment. Awesome. So if you want to connect with Robin, go on LinkedIn. We'll put all the links there. Thank you so much for your time today. This was amazing. It's been brilliant, Angela. Thank you ever so much for your time too. And thank you for your time for listening and watching and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye y'all. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights. And I want to know your aha moments. 
Until next week, remember, the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.